Thank you for listening to the Potter's House Tri-Cities Podcast, located here in Pasco, Washington, where lives are still being changed for Jesus Christ. We hope you enjoy it. tonight um, to the book of Isaiah chapter 6, and uh, that chapter 6 is the one immediately preceding chapter 5. Sorry, I couldn't help myself. Um, So we'll be reading there in a moment. I'm going to preach a sermon tonight I've entitled Available. Uh, William Carey, who is called the father of modern missionaries, uh, served the Lord in India for many years. He gradually became very concerned about the attitude of his son, Felix. The young men had promised to become a missionary, but he reneged on his vows when he was appointed ambassador to Bruma by the Queen of England. Carey wrote to his friend asking for, his son, uh, asking for prayer for his son with these words, Pray for Felix. He has degenerated into an ambassador for the British government when he should be serving the King of Kings. So like Felix, the worries of the world um, and seemingly important things can get in the way of our availability to the King of Kings, and thus making us ineffective in service to God. But rather we must make ourselves completely available to God's calling on our life, no matter the cost, that that calling is the highest calling we could ever answer with our lives. So let's read our text in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. Very well-known scripture. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your presence here tonight. God, I ask, Lord, that you would help me this evening, God, that you would help me deliver the words that you have for your people, my King, that your Holy Spirit would go into the hearts and the minds of the people here, God, that you would minister to them tonight, God, not by my ability, but by your might, God. We thank you, Lord, for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. So first I want to talk about the challenges or the risks of being unavailable to God. Turning away from God's call in our life, we see um, a very, very common example used of this is the rich young ruler. You guys know the story. The guy comes to Jesus. He says, uh, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, follow these commandments. He says, I've done it. And then he says, what else? And Jesus says, well, actually, let me tell you what he says getting ahead of myself here. Mark 10, verses 21 through 22, Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So here we see the rich young ruler unable to do what Jesus says to do to become his disciple. See, in this story, we don't even know this man's name. He's only defined by what the world knows him as, which is a rich young ruler. You see, all of Jesus' disciples were defined by just that, Jesus' disciples. They didn't have any AKAs. They didn't have anything that they identified as other than Jesus' disciple. Jesus' disciples left their, their professions, their families, their locations, all of it to follow Jesus. They were no longer identified by any of these things 
Some of them used to be fishermen. Some of them used to be tax collectors. Some of them used to be other things. But at the end of it all, when Jesus called to them, they dropped it. They left that identity behind and they became known as disciples. See, the rich young ruler couldn't identify both as a rich young ruler and a disciple of Christ. And as a result of that, to follow Jesus, as a result of that, to follow Jesus, he calls us to abandon all that is in this world that could steal our identity in Christ. So the question isn't, are you rich or do you follow Jesus? The question is, what identifies you? See, being rich wasn't his problem. Being a ruler wasn't his problem and being young wasn't his problem. But the problem was, is those were the things that identified him. Those were the things that made up his life. And Jesus says, those things are too important to you because of that. So what identifies you? Is it being a Christian or is it being something else? Is it your career? Is it being a mom? Is it being a dad? Is it being faithful to your church? Crazy enough as it seems, many times people lose sight of their relationship with Christ because they're so invested in things that they think are so important. All of these things are important, being a mother, being a father, being a serving in the church, serving your family, a brother, a sister. But at the end of the day, if these are the things that identify you more than being a follower of Christ, then your identity is in the wrong place. When we get to the point to where we identify ourselves as anything other than a follower of Christ first, is when we find ourselves investing into other things and not being available for God. See, the rich young ruler was too wrapped up in his identity as the rich young ruler to make himself available to follow as Christ. So as a result of this, this is all he's known. This is all he's known as, is a rich young ruler. And he's seen as someone who rejected the opportunity to follow Christ. And his name isn't even mentioned in the story. The cares and the desires of the world will all too often get in the way of our availability to God. So many times we think we got to do this, we got to take care of that. I got to miss church for that. I got to miss my evening devotions for this. I don't have time to pray this morning. I got to hurry out the door. Whatever it might be, all the worries of the world that distract us, it's not uncommon. Matthew 8, 18 through 22, there's men who come up to Jesus and they're telling him, Jesus, I'll follow you. And this is what it says. Now when, Jesus, uh, now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go to the other side. And a scribe came up to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds, have air, and, birds of the air have nests, and the Son of Man, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. You see, the first man says, Jesus, I'll go wherever you go. Let's do this. And Jesus says, I don't think you realize what you're saying. I don't have a home. I don't have any place to call my home. I'm a man of the road. I'm a man of the mission. You don't realize what you're saying. And the second man says, let me first go bury my father. Now, don't be confused. This isn't Jesus saying, hey, you can't go to your dad's funeral. We got to go right now. 
This man's dad is still very much alive. We don't know the condition of his health, of course, but this is a saying in this time, um, implying that his dad is still alive. And he says, hey, you know, Jesus, my dad's old. You know, when he dies, then I'll come follow you. I got to take care of him until he dies. I don't, you know, who knows why he loves his dad. Of course, every son should. Maybe he's worried about getting his inheritance when the time comes. But either way, he's telling Jesus, not now, but after this. And Jesus says, leave the dead to bury their own dead. Follow me. Now it's worth noting that in this encounter with these two men, neither of these men are noted as becoming a follower of Jesus. And I suspect that they both left disheartened, just like the rich young ruler. Because you don't hear of these men again. Again, there's no names mentioned. There's just two men. Now this isn't to say that we have to be homeless or we have to abandon our families to follow Jesus. Although, to be a literal follower of Jesus when Jesus was here on earth, that was very true in a lot of ways. Now there are mentions of Jesus' mother throughout the Gospels and the disciples' family. And at one point Jesus returns home. So they didn't completely and entirely forsake these people. But this also wasn't the day and age where we have cell phones and we can pick up and FaceTime Mama when we're across the country. There was real sacrifice and we're blessed to have um, the privilege to live in the new covenant with the Holy Spirit where we can commune with Jesus and our family simultaneously. But the real issue here is that Jesus saw these men and he saw their hearts. Jesus knew these men were unwilling to truly make themselves completely available to the calling that Jesus had for them. When we cannot make ourselves available to God, our life can only be looked at what could have been. The rich young ruler, the two men who encountered Jesus, what if they did drop it all and follow Jesus? What if they did? I mean, we don't know, obviously, because they didn't. But just think, could they have been a 13th, 14th, and 15th disciple? Maybe. Maybe we would know their names. Maybe they would have written part of the New Testament. We don't know. Maybe they would have betrayed Jesus instead of Judas. <laughs> or along with them. But either way, we can only be left wondering what could have been about these men. There's another man in the Bible named Samson. His story is documented in Judges 13 through 16. He is a man, as you guys know, of great strength, great power, empowered by the Holy Spirit. But he was too wrapped up in his concerns to be completely and totally available by God. You read through his story and time after time, you see him acting in rage and anger, killing a bunch of people because he gets upset. He marries a foreign woman to his people, which is against God's word. Then he abandons her. Then he falls in love with a hooker. You guys know how it all went. And we look at this story and his great might, his great strength, all the things that he did do, which are pretty impressive, but we can only be left asking what could have been. What could have Samson accomplished if he had let go of his fleshly desires, let go of his worldly distractions, dropped his pride, and humbly served God as the judge of Israel as he was called to be? Because when we decide to make ourselves available to God, we have to come before him as a humble servant. In humility, in service to God. You see, the truth is, every single one of us, and Isaiah included, we are sinners and unfit to serve. But by God's grace, we are made righteous 
and we can be used by, for God's will. Isaiah 6, 1-7, through 7, this is right before our original text. It says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. Uh, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And he, one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of the people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, Having in his hand a burning coal that he took with tongs from the altar, he touched my, lip, uh, touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. See, Isaiah finds himself in the presence of God and his angels and he immediately realizes, the first thing he thinks about is how sinful he is. He realizes how out of place he was. Do you guys remember the song from the Muppets? One of these things is not like the others. One of these things doesn't belong. Can you tell me which of these things is not like the other before I finish this song? Anybody? Just me? Well, you can look it up. But the idea is that you have, you know, a, things on a table or whatever, and they're all similar, but one is slightly different. You sing the song, and the kids are supposed to pick out which one's different before the song is en ends. Um, and then, you know, they reveal which one is different, and the kids all cheer. We have to acknowledge that in God's working, us humans are broken and sinful, and we don't belong with God and His mighty angels, except by and only by the wonderful grace of God. You see, Isaiah didn't even have to get that song started. He knew right away he was completely and entirely unfit to be where he was. But then something amazing happens. Isaiah didn't do anything except admit that he was a sinner and he shouldn't be there. But yet the coal was placed on his lips, and his sin was atoned for. No matter how much we do for God's kingdom, no matter how much we serve, we are completely unworthy of Christ and His rewards. We see a really good example of this in John the Baptist. This is Jesus speaking of John the Baptist in Matthew 11, 11. It says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Now that's quite the compliment. There's a lot of people that came before John the Baptist that are very prominent. Moses, Noah, Abraham, the father of their faith. There's a lot of important people, King David, that were pretty big deals. And Jesus is saying, he's greater than all of them. So even though John the Baptist didn't hear Jesus say this about him, which is probably a good thing, you know, if we heard Jesus say something about, that, about us like that, we'd be feeling pretty good, right? But he did realize that he had a very high calling on his life. In John 1.23, John the Baptist is answering people, asking him about who he is. He says, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. John the Baptist understood that his life calling was a fulfillment to the prophecy to prepare a way for Jesus. That's kind of a big deal. And he, he knew that. But yet right after that, while he's making his case to the Pharisees, 
in John 1, 25-27 says this, They asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered him, I baptized with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. See, John the Baptist understood the importance of the calling that God put on his life, but yet he remained humble in his position, realizing that even at his best, he was unfit to untie Jesus' sandals. He couldn't even handle Jesus' Jordans. When we begin to believe that we are fit for God's service is when we become less and less effective in God's service. You see, the truth is, church, we are not fit for this. We're not capable of it. It is by the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we carry out what God has for our lives. And if we believe that we're fit for this service, we will go from relying on God and His power to relying on our own ability and our intellect because we think we're, we're pretty hot stuff. But like Isaiah and like John the Baptist, we have to acknowledge our sin and humbly come into God's service. And realize, to effectively serve God, we have to admit that it is only possible by the grace of God. Ephesians 2, 4-5 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. You see, church, it is by grace and grace alone that we are saved and that we are used by God. We simply just have to make ourselves available to Him. Isaiah 6, 8, our text this evening, let's read it one more time, says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am. Send me. See, we simply just have to be available. Isaiah hears the calling of the Lord and he immediately says, Here I am. Just a moment ago, he was wrapped up in his sin, realizing how unfit he was to even be in the presence of God. And now, he's volunteering to go for God and gets commissioned by God to be a prophet. Now let's think about what Isaiah didn't say. He didn't say, oh, you know, God, I guess I can, but first, you know, let me finish my degree. Let me finish my 20s. Let me get my money right. Let me watch the Seahawks game this Sunday and every Sunday. Isaiah didn't think about any of these things, any of these distractions in the world, his circumstances. He didn't think to himself, what will my family think? What will my friends think? How will this affect my career? Will this get in the way of any of my uh, hobbies? Isaiah didn't do any of that. He heard the voice of God calling, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Isaiah heard God, God's calling on his life. He let go of his own dreams, his hobbies, his relationships that could possibly get in the way, and he responded with, Here I am. Send me. So we must be available, but what's available for what? Isaiah 6, 8 is one of the most well-known verses in the Bible, and it's often related to a calling to preach when most people speak of it. But the truth is, Isaiah 6, 8 should resonate with all believers. The root of the situation here is that there is a need, and Isaiah makes himself available to God. D.L. Moody wrote 
the following words next to Isaiah 6, 8 in his Bible. He says this, I am only one, but only one. I cannot do anything, everything, but I can do something. What I can do, I ought to do. And what I ought do, by the grace of God, I will do. You see, there are many callings in the Christian walk. We just simply have to say, here I am, God. I'm available for whatever you call me to me to, to do. Whether it's preach, whether it's be a pillar in the church, whether it's go on missionary trips, whether it's finance missionary trips, whatever it is, we just have to simply say, God, here I am. I'm ready. Let's do it. Sometimes it involves what Isaiah did. Well, maybe not these days, but in his days it did. Sometimes these days it involves, just like I said, going to preach, and sometimes it involves staying put right where you are, being faithful in your church. Either way, Christians are all a part of the body of Christ, and we all serve a crucial role. 1 Corinthians 12, 14-27 says this, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body that would not make it any less part of the body. And if an ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body was an ear, where would the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If we were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think is less honorable, we bestow with great honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to, those part that, to the part that lacks it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. You see, we are called to be the body of Christ and to act as one, to carry out the work of Christ in today's world. As the body of Christ, we may make ourselves completely and entirely available to whatever role we are called to. What good is a body part if it's not always available? You know, imagine climbing out of bed in the morning and go stand up and your foot's taking the day off. You're on the ground. You've got an itch on your back and your hand's not feeling it today. Or even more importantly, you're hungry and your mouth, it's doing its own thing. The misconception is that a life lived for Christ leaves you missing out on life. But true freedom is found in, serving, in living in service to God. John 8.36, Jesus says, So the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So often we see the word free 
people see that word and they abuse it, thinking abuse the grace of God, thinking freedom gives them free reign to live a life of sin. You know, the freedom we think about on July 4th, so many people go out there and blow stuff up and get wasted. That's their design, their thought of what freedom is. That's not the freedom Jesus is talking about. You know, they go out and commit these sins and say, Jesus died for that. The soldiers might have died so you can live that way, but Jesus didn't. And this statement saying Jesus died for that, I can sin freely because Jesus died for that, is a statement that honestly is nothing short of heresy and is a salvation killer. See, we skip back a couple of verses and Jesus says in John 8, 34 through 36, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So the son sets you free and you will be free indeed. Jesus is saying just the opposite. We're not free to sin. We are free from sin. The yoke of sin is no longer weighing us down, and we are free through Christ to live righteously for Him. Free from sin doesn't just mean free from the consequences of sin, but free from the lifestyle of sin. And repentance isn't a one-and-done thing. Repentance is remorse for a sin and a genuine intention not to commit it again. 1 Peter 2.16 says, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. That puts it pretty straightforward. Our freedom isn't used as an excuse for sin, but rather it's used to live for God. Now there's no question in today's world, as we're on the last day of Pride Month, that sin is running rampant in today's world. Divorce, alcohol, drug abuse, suicide, sexual immorality, homosexuality, greed, and so much more. These things are tearing apart lives, families, and our nation. And these things and so many more is exactly what Jesus set us free from. We are set free from our slavery to sin so that we can serve Christ and experience true joy on this earth. And more importantly, true joy in eternity. Romans 6, 22-23 says, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So like Isaiah, we must set aside our sin, set aside our worries of the world, and make ourselves completely available to God and say, Here I am. Use me. And then, and only then, can we experience true freedom on earth by becoming slaves to Christ and escaping the crushing burden of sin by the grace of God. Can I have every head bowed and every eyes closed? You've just listened to the Potter's House Tri-Cities Podcast located here in Pasco, Washington. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you come back for more.